countdown here. So have you been doing the stuff that you need to be doing? Have all of you been baking? Okay, good, <laughs> good. I'm just saying, good. Um, have you been listening to Christmas music? Yes, that's good to do while you're baking. A lot of, a lot of people like to bake Christmas cookies and things like that for their pastor. Um, <laughs> have you been watching Christmas movies? Yes, we always talk about this. Which, which are your great Christmas movies? Which are the best ones of all time? Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol? It's a Wonderful Life. White Christmas. Home Alone. Charlie Brown. Yeah. I don't know. I, I saw some, some person posted on social media the other day that uh, A Christmas Story is actually a terrible movie. I don't know. Can we move Rachel to the back row? <laughs> a Christmas story is the best Christmas ever. I think, I think you have to be a boy to get it. I think that's the deal. Um, at my house, none of those movies get watched. What gets watched at my house is Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> right? There seems, seems to be a split uh, opinion about this. And I haven't seen all of them, but I, I feel like I've seen all of them. The general gist of it is you have this beautiful young woman. She's an up-and-coming executive in her company. She's trying to make partner, and she's working really hard to get there. And because of that, she's having to ignore some family things and the traditions, and she's kind of discouraged, but she's working late. And then in the hallway, she bumps into this perfect-looking guy, and he's got about two days growth, and he looks like Ryan Gosling. And and she meets him, and he is a guy, what he does is he owns an apple farm, and, and then he is like a pediatric cancer surgeon on the side, and, but she's already got a boyfriend, right? But he's a rich guy, and he flies in and out, but he kind of treats her bad, and she's really liking the pediatric surgeon guy, and, and they're starting to decide, he has to decide between the two, and as the snow begins to fall, she finally says no to the jerk that's been treating her bad, and yes to the pediatric surgeon, and they kiss, and they all live happily ever after. Have you seen that one? Yep. I guess I have seen them all. <laughs> there are Christmas traditions, right? Um, and, uh, and as you grow as a family, your traditions adjust and they develop and they change. I remember when Christy and I first got married, and if you're married, you remember this in your family too. We had to sort of juggle with the whole, what do we do now? Because we each have families with traditions and how do we, who do we go to on Christmas day and who do we go to on Christmas Eve and who's going to give us the most presents, you know? <laughs> we had to figure all that kind of stuff out and just had to kind of figure it out. And then when we had our own kids, we had to figure it out again and go, okay, is there a way for us to do this extended family and this extended family and our own sort of nuclear family and how do we do that? on Christmas. And then um, as you get older, and we started losing parents. And then it changed again. We had to sort of figure this out again. It no longer was uh, rotating around the parents' home where all of the siblings would come in. And, and uh, then we are, we're now at this place now where not only have we lost some parents, but we're losing some kids. 
Our kids are grown. They are moving out. They took our grandkids with them. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's always this adjustment. So for us now, we still have this big extended family thing on Christmas Eve. But Christmas Day, we kind of wake up and look at each other and go, uh, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? And uh, so we, have, we, start, we go to the movies on Christmas Day. <laughs> if you're wondering why Emily is saying boo, it's because she manages a movie theater, so she understands that. Um, you know, and then the question is, what do we do for Christmas dinner, right? And a couple years ago, we went to Sizzler. I know. Go ahead. I know. Cry for us. <laughs> and you're sitting there in Sizzler, and you're having your bad steak and cheese bread, you know? And, and you're looking over there, and there's this, there's this couple over there, and you think, oh, how sad for them. <laughs> and of course, they're looking at you going, how sad for them, right? So this is our new reality. So we are trying to figure out Christmas again for about the fifth time in our family. Um, and so I thought it would be fun to just kind of devote some time today to trying to figure out Christmas together. Let's start thinking again about Christmas and what it's all about. In order to do that, of course, we're going to be in either Matthew or Luke. Today we're going to be in both. But for, let's start in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you, it's the first book in the New Testament, very easy to find. First chapter, it's easy to find, Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 18, and we're going to look at this passage which I know is familiar to you. I know you have heard it before. I know you have read it before, but if we're going to get serious about figuring out Christmas, we're going to have to understand it from a biblical perspective. So let's just follow along as I read. Verse 18, Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And they called his name Jesus. So if we're going to get Christmas figured out, let's just make sure that we're not distracted, that we've got this right so we're gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna do a little quick Christmas quiz. Now keep your answer to yourself for right now. But look at this slide. Blank is the reason for the season. Now we have to make sure that if we're gonna understand Christmas, we understand at least this much. Okay. So what's the reason for the season? Okay. Let Let's see. You guys over here. This section over here. Let's see if we could do this with a little enthusiasm. The reason for the season. What's the reason for the season? Jesus. 
Okay, that was not good. Okay? <laughs> Center section, you guys are all together. Can we do this with a little more enthusiasm? What's the reason for the season? Jesus! Okay, you guys are getting better. You can, some of you are sleeping over here, so wake up the person next to you. What's the reason for the season? Jesus! Oh, we got a stander over here. That's good. Okay, everybody fails the quiz. You all got it wrong. Jesus is not the reason for the season. Sin is the reason for the season. I know, depressing, huh? It was way better before. Sin is the reason for the season. If we're going to get Christmas figured out and we're going to get it biblical, let's understand why Jesus was born in a manger so long ago. See, we have this idea that, you know, on Christmas, Jesus came about. But Jesus didn't come about on Christmas. Jesus is eternally God. The, the, what happened on Christmas is that Jesus was born as a human being on Christmas, right? But, but there was a reason he had to be born. And we saw it in verse 21. We, we saw this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Let's go back. She will uh, bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their what? Sins. He's going to save people from their sins. If you go over to, to the book of Luke, if you want to read the Christmas story, just read the first couple chapters of Matthew and the first couple chapters of Luke, you'll get the gist of it. But go to Luke chapter 2, and let's see what Luke has to say about this. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, we're going to pick it up. And listen to this. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a what? Savior, who is Christ the Lord. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. The implication being, you need to be saved, shepherds. So there's a Savior. I have good news. You need to be saved from something. And the angels proclaimed in the, in the heavenly host, they proclaimed, right? Peace on earth. Peace with God is possible because of this Savior. Now skip down to verse 25 of Luke chapter 2. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was, a righteous, and devout, uh, was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. <clears throat> and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your what? Salvation, Salvation which you have prepared uh, in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. <clears throat> and then you skip down to verse 36. 
And it says, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. She had been waiting to see the Savior born because she knew that people needed redemption. They needed to be redeemed. Now, we've been in the book of Genesis. We're taking a little break for Christmas. But we've been in the book of Genesis now for the last couple of months, and we've been talking about how God created the earth, and he made man in his image, but man rebelled against him and is now living with brokenness and sin and death under a curse. And therefore, man has fallen. And because man has fallen, he needs to be redeemed. And so the great story of the world is this. God created, man rebelled, God redeemed. And for all of time, from the time of Genesis forward, he made this promise to Abraham. He said, I will make you a great nation and through you all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. He was looking forward to this day, the one who would redeem Israel, and not just Israel, but all who would believe in him, who would become spiritual Israel, so to speak. She was looking for redemption. Christmas came so that Easter could come. It's a package deal. Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. We need them all. If, if he didn't become one of us, he could have never paid the price for us. But even having become one of us, he could have chosen not to pay the price for us. But Good Friday is all about the price that he paid. And Easter is about the fact that he was not held captive to death. And because he's alive, we can be alive too. So whenever you think of Christmas, don't just think about the babe in the manger. That's just part of the story. But the whole story is a story of redemption. The result of Christmas is that we can have a relationship with God and the peace and the freedom that that brings. And so over the years, Christmas has developed as a tradition in various cultures. And everyone sort of does it differently. And even in the same culture, we all do it differently in our different families. And everybody has their own traditions and all of that kind of stuff. And one of the traditions is we give gifts at Christmas. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow night at the um, Christmas Eve service. But for now, let me just say, we give gifts at Christmas. And so you have this season before Christmas where we're all thinking about gifts. And we're thinking about what am I going to get for so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so, and how am I going to be able to stretch my budget so that I can make all of that work? And if you're selfish, you're probably thinking, I wonder what somebody's going to get for me, right? And every year when it gets close to Christmas, I start fielding questions from people, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And I almost always say the same thing. Nothing. There's nothing I need. I, I really don't want anything. Let me just tell you, that's a lie. It's not true. What I really mean is, 
you probably can't afford what I want. <laughs> and if you could, you probably wouldn't spend that kind of money on me. That's what I mean. I'm watching the ball game. It's football playoff time and bowl games and all that. And they keep inserting these commercials. And in these commercials, there's this beautiful house with a beautiful driveway. And in the driveway is what? Alexis with a giant red bow on it, right? You cannot miss it this time of year. And they, and they man, they're getting good with this. And they say it's, it's, you know, December to remember time. This is your Lexus commercial. Um, and, and your February will be better if you remember that at December. And your June will be better if you, let me, let me just give you some news. You'll be making payments in February and June, okay? <laughs> just so you know right? And every time I see this commercial, the family comes out and everybody's rejoicing and people are hugging and kissing and all that kind of stuff. I think that is not how this would go. Like, can you imagine like to buy something that expensive without your spouse knowing it? Like this is called divorce for Christmas. <clears throat> but I see those commercials and I go, oh, how cool would that be? Just tempted to check out the outside the window and look into the driveway and see if it's there every Christmas. Um, I would love to be that guy that gets that Lexus for Christmas, just so you know. <laughs> but the truth is, I ain't getting a Lexus for Christmas. And we rarely get what we want for Christmas. And uh, even when people do get what they want and it's spectacular, here's the thing we all know. After just a little while, the thrill is gone, isn't it? After just a little while, the Lexus loses its shine, and it's just a car, and it gets you from point A to point B. I remember, this dates me a little bit, I remember when I was a kid, and uh, <clears throat> they came out with this amazing video game system. No, it was not a PS4 when I was a kid. It wasn't a PS2, it wasn't a PS... It wasn't Nintendo, it wasn't a GameCube, it was Pong. You guys remember Pong, old people? Yes? Yes, hooray for the old people. Um, we could still beat any teenager at Pong, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, just a little light goes back and forth, doink, doink. It's really exciting. We played it for hours. And I remember that it was one of those things where you open all your gifts and you get socks and underwear and all this stuff and then... And then, you know, dad says, what's that over there behind the cabinet? You know, you go pull out this other gift and we open the sucker up and it's a video game system and we are kissing strangers. We are doing backflips. We're, my brother and I were so excited. We hooked that thing up and we just played for hours and hours and hours. We didn't talk to any other relatives. We're just going doink, 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 you know. <laughs> and we were just overjoyed to have this thing. But in a couple of years, they came out with the Atari 2600. And you could play like Space Invaders with that, right? I mean, I mean this was like a gigantic leap forward. And, and, I, and we didn't get one of those. And I remember just like going through that Christmas morning going, oh man, I think we're going to get an Atari. I think, and we didn't. And I just remember going, oh. This stupid Pong game, this thing stinks, you know? Can you imagine trying to get today's teenagers to play Pong, right? It stinks. So the thrill doesn't last, right? 
And studies show that for many, many people, it's not thrilling at all. In fact, Christmas can be very, very depressing, can be very downheartening. A recent survey showed that 45% of Americans said they dread the coming of Christmas. 45%. For various reasons. Financial reasons. Relationship reasons. Loneliness. um, Missing uh, loved ones who have passed on. Grief. We, We also tend to compare, don't we? I mean, if what you have is Pong and the guy down the street has got the new Atari system... It just, it just takes all the thrill out of it for you. We look at other people and we wish we could have what they have. So I was thinking about this and I remembered that roughly 3,000 years ago, there was a guy that everybody wanted to trade places with. He had everything. He was a national hero, totally famous. He was a celebrity. He was so popular that they made him king. He had a castle on a hill. He had all the luxuries that money could buy. He had whatever was the, was the Lexus of his day, some sort of chariot sitting out in his driveway. His name was King David. And he wrote a song about it. And that song is in our Bibles and is known as Psalm 32. So I want to invite you to turn to the middle of your Bible and find the book of Psalms and then find Psalm number 32. And we're going to just spend a few minutes there. I don't think any of you expected to be in Psalm 32 in a Christmas message, but wait till you see what we can learn from David. Beginning in verse 1, Psalm number 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David had it all, but he said that the real blessing in life is not whether you have a Lexus in the driveway. It's not whether you got the latest gaming system. It's not whether you're all together with all of your family under one roof. It's not whether you had a good year financially or you have a great job or you're out of a job or anything like that. He said the real blessing is knowing that somehow, some way, your sin can be forgiven. Amen. That your iniquities cannot be counted against you, that somehow you can get freedom from the guilt and the bondage of sin. And he knew what it was like to live with guilt and bondage. We know his story, right? Even though he lived in a castle on a hill with a Lexus in the driveway and all of that kind of stuff, um, he messed up in a lot of ways. And he, in, in essence, I would just say, at least in one case, he treated women as objects. He, he ends up taking advantage of this woman who lives in his community, right? He, he's overtaken with lust. He sees her bathing. He ha- has her brought to his house because he knows that her husband is away. Why is her husband away? Because he's one of his generals and he serves in the war. And so he, he's husband, her husband is away 
He has her brought to the house. He manipulates her, controls her, uses his power over her and seduces her. And because of this, she ends up pregnant. And when she ends up pregnant, he panics. He looks for a way to cover it up, right? He invites her husband back home, figuring that they will sleep together and that will explain why there's a baby, even though he was away at war, but he won't sleep with his wife. So he sends him back to the field and he gives orders that he should be basically put to death out on the battlefield. So he not only commits adultery, he not only abuses this woman, but he also kills her husband. He knew something about the weight of sin. This is not a perfect guy. This is not a guy who doesn't mess up. This is not a guy who doesn't make mistakes. This is not a guy who's got it all together. This is a guy who, in spite of everything that God has done for him, has begun to take himself too seriously, has begun to think that he's more than he is, and has begun to use his power to abuse other people, which, by the way, is the temptation that everyone with power has to take advantage of other people. And he's weighed down by the weight of that sin. Look at verse three. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand, Lord, was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. He says, my sin was so profoundly weighing on me that literally I was sick from my sin. Literally, my bones ached and my body was in pain. Literally, I had this fever. It was like it was 120 degrees outside and I'd been working in the hot sun. Every day, I felt miserable. I was overwhelmed because I was carrying this incredible weight of my sin, but I couldn't carry it any longer. It was crushing me. It was destroying me. He says, I know what that's like. And I'm pretty sure that there's one or two of us in this room who also know what that's like, right? That, that we understand the weightiness of sin. You can't get rid of it. You, you, you finally manage to stop thinking about it and you fall asleep and you wake up in the morning and immediately the thought hits you again. You feel guilty, you feel disconnected, you feel dirty and it feels overwhelming and it's too much to handle. I know that feeling I relate so well to King David. Before I knew the Lord, I treated women exactly the way he treated Bathsheba. I, I, I saw the girls I went to school with not as people, but as challenges, as opportunities, as ways for me to be served. And I treated them that way. And, and I, I remember, and, and I've talked about this publicly before, but I, I remember... Um, getting a call from this girl I was dating now. I was dating this girl, not because I cared about her. The reason I was dating this girl is because she had been dating my brother. And I set out to take her from him. That was my thing. <laughs> if, you, if you ever meet my brother, ask him about this. He loves to talk about it. <laughs> it was always this challenge for me to think, I wonder if I could get her to go with me instead of him. And so I was with this girl who had been with my brother and I took her away and now she's with me. I don't care about this girl. I'm not interested in this girl. I just like the way it makes my brother feel like a loser. 
And so I'm with this girl, and she calls and tells me she's pregnant. And I'm 14, and I don't know what to do. And I freak out. And my thought is not about her, and my thought is not about this child. My thought is, is my life ruined? And I, I've, I'm buckling under the weight of this, wondering what the consequences are going to be for me. And, and, and finally, some time later, when she let me know it was a false alarm, it was the greatest moment of my life. I had just prayed for the first time in my life. I'd become someone who prayed. Oh God, if you really exist, if you're really up there, could you please bail me out of this? Because I don't see how I'm going to do this. I don't know where to go from here. I don't know what to do. I feel crushed by this. I know what it's like to treat women the way David treated Bathsheba. I know what it feels like when you know that that's who you are and you can't get under, out from under the weight of it. I know what it's like to let your anger erupt into violence. Whenever I would get mad, I just became violent. That's who I was. And, and, And I got in a schoolyard fight, and I beat a classmate almost to death. And they took him away in an ambulance. And he was hospitalized, and we didn't know if he was gonna live or die. And again, I prayed, because I I was under that crushing weight again. Oh God, what will happen to me if this guy dies? Not what will happen to him. What will happen to me? Calling out to God, if he's there, if he could just help me, if he could just be like a genie in a bottle, I won't do it again, Lord, if you'll just help me this time. And he got better and he came home from the hospital and he returned to school and I didn't get in any trouble at all. But in those two instances, I came to this place where I could absolutely relate to David. Violence, yep. Uh, Abusing my power over women, yep. And the weight was so great that I didn't know what I would do. And finally, somebody told me about the forgiveness that's available in Jesus. And that changed my life. See, David knew he was in over his head. I knew I was in over my head. It is a great moment in your life when you hit the bottom and know that there's nothing you could do for yourself. It's a great moment because that moment has to precede the moment when you actually surrender to Jesus because none of us is surrendering until that moment. And so Christmas is about an opportunity to gain life when we're crushed under the weight of sin. Look at verse five. I acknowledge my sin to you, speaking to God, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I want you to, I want you to highlight, circle, underline that in your Bible. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Sin is one thing, but the consequences of sin, one of those consequences is guilt that weighs you down and crushes you. 
And he said, not only did you forgive my sin, but you lifted the weight of the guilt. You took it off of me and I could live life again. David confessed, he repented, and God forgave him of his sin and wiped out his guilt. So that's what Christmas is all about. When mankind was being crushed under the weight of sin, Jesus left the throne of heaven and became one of us so that we could be set free from what? Sin. That's the reason for this season. Your sin and my sin. And if you have never experienced the freedom of having your sin carried away by Jesus, then I am just overjoyed that you're here today. If you, if you have never known what it is to cry out to God the way that David did and to have God forgive your sin and remove your guilt and take away the weight of the condemnation that you've been living under, I have news for you. Today could be the greatest day of your life. If that's who you are and that's where you've been and that's what you've been living with, I say this to you, Merry Christmas. Because that's what Christmas is all about. Your sin is what Christmas is all about. Sin is the reason for the season. And so God looked upon mankind, all of us in the same boat, separated from God because of our sin, and he saw how we were unable to do anything to save ourselves. He saw us being crushed under the weight of our sin without any hope of digging out on our own. And he sent his son to become one of us so that we might be set free. And the gospel message is this. You have a problem with sin. We all have a problem with sin. And we can't fix it. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus came so that he could fix it. Jesus came to redeem us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us, one of us. His name is Jesus, Savior, he who saves because we need to be saved. Anna looked at him and said, ah, the redemption of Israel. And, and the, the prophet looked at him and said, ah, I, I now have, have been set free. I now have been saved. I've seen my salvation. That's what Christmas is about. And if you never knew that and you've never done anything about that, I'm telling you, this could be the greatest moment of your life if you would just today in your own way, in your own heart, just say to Jesus, I, I can't handle the guilt of my sin anymore. I want to have real life. And I accept what you did for me on the cross. And I receive you as my Savior. And I'm going to follow you as my Lord. And if you would submit your life to Jesus Christ, this Christmas would be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. But if you're one who has already experienced the freedom from the bondage and the guilt that Christ offers, then to you I say this, Merry Christmas. Don't forget that without the Lexus in your driveway or with the Lexus in your driveway, don't forget that whether all of your family is going to be gathered under one roof today or whether there are those who are estranged and those who are gone on that you'll never see again, whatever that situation might be for you, don't forget that with or without all of your loved ones, with or without health, with or without a great job, with or without wealth, with or without prosperity, however you mean that, this Christmas you have a reason to rejoice 
Sin is the reason for the season. Redemption is the result of the reason. Jesus came to set you free. And you get to live in that freedom. You get to experience life abundantly. You get to know the one who loves you so much that he didn't even think holding on to the throne of heaven was worth more than coming down to a cross to get you. God has done amazing things for us. Amen? Amen. That, my friends, is what Christmas is about. And I want you to have stuffing and turkey and cranberries. I want you to open gifts that you're thrilled to get. I want you to give gifts that other people are thrilled to get. I want you to see your family and I want you to have great memories and I want you to do all of those things. But if you do those things or not and you don't have Jesus... It adds up to nothing. So let's get past the it's a holiday and let's get Christmas figured out. It's not about the parties. It's about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords coming to die on a cross and set us free. We have reason to rejoice. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, this day, we rejoice together with you. We are honored to be among your people, to even have the opportunity to be called your people, to not be any longer under the weight of sin and condemnation and guilt, but to have the freedom to be new and alive in Christ. Lord, because of what you did, because you humbled yourself, because you left the throne of heaven for the manger of Bethlehem, because you left the manger of Bethlehem for the cross of Calvary, because you left the cross of Calvary for the tomb in Jerusalem, and because by God's amazing power, you left the tomb of Jerusalem alive and well. We are here to say, you are King of Kings. You are Lord of Lords. You are the God of all creation. And we are your children and we're so thrilled to be it. So God, on this Christmas holiday, get a hold of our hearts. Get a hold of our attention. Let us remember that you have indeed set us free. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now,